Welcome, I'm Michael Maroney, the director of FACET, the Faculty Academy on Excellent in Teaching. And this is episode one of our new and yet to be named podcast series where we get to know our FACET members. Each episode will focus on our guests' teaching journeys from the things they love about teaching to the things that wake them up in the middle of the night during the semester. The conversations will be casual and provide you with an introduction to the excellence of our FACET member guests, highlights of their teaching, and I bet we'll get to share a sense of the joy it brings them. In this episode, I converse with Katie Metz of the FACET class of 2018. She's a faculty member in the Kelly School of Business Accounting Department, and she chairs the FACET Statewide Selection Committee. Truth be told, I've known Katie for a long time as she was a member of my department teaching business communication for six years before she moved to the accounting department. And in all that time, I've never had a conversation with her quite like the one we're going to have today. Let's get to know Katie. Katie. Michael. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing really well. I'm doing really well. Good. Thanks. Good. I, I'm, I'm curious. I, so you chaired the statewide selection committee this year. Yeah. And it I was did. like your first time to do this. And uh, how, how do you think it went? How, did you enjoy it? I really enjoyed it. It was, it was really fun. Um, I This is my third year on the statewide selection committee and my first year chairing. And every year I come out of that meeting just so energized for all the really awesome and creative things that our faculty are doing on this campus and at the university yeah. level as a whole. I mean, it, I, we see some super cool things in that committee. And yeah, this year in particular, super exciting, isn't it? it is. And in this year in particular, I thought the committee worked really well together. Everybody gelled. We were on track. I think we finished early for the first time ever. And, we did. Uh, I mean, we actually had at least a half an hour to spare. Just had 30 whole minutes <laughs> before business hours closed on a Friday. And it, right. I, I just, I was really excited about the, the new members we have coming in and, and just the way the committee worked together um, to bring in those new members. Well, we had new me- a lot of new members on the committee itself, right? Yeah, it, I think so it was kind of interesting. I think two thirds maybe of the committee were new or second year in. It, it, it was interesting. People are doing their job and rotating in and out, giving people some experience. So, um, it brought some really interesting new perspectives to the committee. I think some things you and I hadn't thought about when we hopped in. Yeah, really, uh, really made me feel confident of, in the future of this the state committee and facet as a whole. We're bringing in some really awesome people. Okay, now I think this is really interesting that here you are in the statewide selection committee, chairing the statewide selection committee, and your facet class of what 2018. I'm facet class of 2018. Yeah. Can can, can I get you to go through the induction ceremony? <laughs> feel like we're a little late on that right if if I'm the one sort of running the ship of of the induction now I I don't know I think my time has passed on that I knew you were going to say that (laughs) I I thought I'd I'd put you on the spot I mean darn COVID and child raising but if if we put you if if we did have you go through the committee and we did the two truths and a lie oh yeah what do you think you'd what I say what, what do you think you'd say um Two truths and a lie. Oh, I've been to Liechtenstein. Um, I'm five feet six inches tall, and I'm used to be certified to drive a forklift. Wow. I know. You think you know me well? Um, I I I probably would say the forklift one has got to be the lie. Really? Am I wrong? Yeah. Dang. I'm five two, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, you're sitting down. I, I know, really, I know, I know. Couldn't really measure right <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, I've been couldn't to Lichtenstein. Really That's cool. And I, uh, in high school, I um, worked for Lowe's and did the outdoor lawn and garden, drove a forklift. Did That's all, like, cool. Yeah, it was actually a really fun summer job. I really enjoyed that. Don't, so. don't you want to get one for your house? Uh, you can move some stuff around. I, I don't know. My youngest daughter might have used that one a little bit. <laughs> I think there might be some danger associated with that decision. So you have two kids. Two kids, yeah. Six and a half and four, both girls. And t- their names? Eris is my older one and Sienna is my younger one. And um, having had my own kids, I learned uh, a lot about teaching and learning just from watching them grow up. And yours are still pretty young. Yeah. But, but I mean, are, are there things that you see that you that, that, that like affect the way you think about teaching? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, my kids are both, both girls, both daughters, pretty close in age, came from the same two parents. And the personality differences in the two is just... Striking, I would say, but also alarming a little bit. My younger one is ju- <laughs> is ju- is just a, something else, a personality. And I think the the approach that you take for one doesn't work for the other one, even though you think you're an expert after you parent the first time around when your kid's easy. And the second one comes along and, and kind of dispels all of those. Oh yeah, thought- my, my kids were so different. My my daughter uh, was I we Stacy and I will say schools were made yes. for people like her. And whatever you throw at her, she would do great. And in fact, she graduated from college in three years by taking 20 credit hours a semester kind of a thing. Um, my son, boy, tough, tough to get him motivated. Yes. He did do it. He did succeed in, in all of that. But it was just a different story. And Yeah, um, the motivators, I think, is, is the key for me here. Mo- what motivates one definitely does not motivate the other. And it, it makes me think a lot about learning styles in the classroom and approaches you have to take. Some of my students, I have to take a harder line because that's what they want yeah, from me. Yeah. That's what they need while others are just going to do it automatically. It doesn't make one better or worse than the other. And patience. A lot, a lot of patience and grace with myself and and them. So a lot of adapting to your particular students. Yeah, definitely. And understanding that, that that's what we should be doing. It should not be a one-size-fits-all. I think that's my, my teaching philosophy as a whole mm. is, is embedded in this sense that we should not be creating one model of teaching just because it's easier, just because it's worked in the past, that we really need to, to kind of think about the chemistry of each individual class makeup, how students are feeling in general, but also each individual student is going to need something a little bit different from me. And that's okay. It's, it's part of what I should be doing. In so, my job. so I'm kind of curious. Um, I mean, that sounds pretty challenging. You teach probably about 50 students a section. Yeah, my classes are about 50 students. So how do you, how do you kind of create that sort of adaptivity in, in what you're doing? So my, the biggest thing I do is do a lot of blended learning in my classroom. And I, I think blended learning, which is something we can get into later if you want, but it is kind of turning into a buzzword or a buzz phrase. But I've taken the concept of it pretty seriously and, and make my classrooms very interactive and very, very immersive. And so part of that is putting them into small teams and having them really work in their teams to accomplish something every day. So what that means is I'm functionally teaching 50, but I'm really teaching small groups of four or five at a time as I'm going around, getting to know their names, understanding their majors and their career paths and their personalities and how frequently they attend class and the circumstances in which they don't attend class. So I think breaking it down into smaller bites, especially in classes of 50, which um, are very mid-sized. You know, I think those are yeah. hard sizes to teach because it you're not seeing 20 students, but you're also not committed to a lecture hall. Um, that That's really how I think I've been successful in managing personalities and really getting to know students more one-on-one than I normally would if I was just lecturing. 
So that makes a lot of sense to me. You're seeing them completing work. You're able to sort of interact and give feedback uh, into smaller yeah. groups and all that. And I know, I mean, I've known you for a long time now, so I know that you're like this super organized person. Um, <laughs> I'm wondering if, if that comes into play. I mean, is yeah. there a way that you're able to like track what's happening? Um, that's an interesting question. And, and I don't physically track the progress, I would say, just um, individual to individual. But one thing I noticed, I was just teaching yesterday in my tax class, which is sort of my heart and soul of what I teach, although certainly not the only thing I teach. And in that class, I, I've figured out that I, I know who raises their hand when and what approach I need to take when that person raises their hand. Like mm -hmm. somebody just needs me to remind them that they should go find the answer while somebody else really isn't very good at um, math or Excel or whatever it is. And I'm uh, walking that yeah. person a little bit more slowly through yeah. the answer. One person needs confidence that they are actually on the right track. And some people just need cut off. I understand you have <laughs> questions, but you're yes. doing fine and I'll come back later sort of thing. And, and that's kind of how I think I've tracked in my brain is just sort of working the room and understanding how people are learning. But it takes some time. I mean, we're in week 11 in the semester and I think I'm just now figuring it out. Uh, and could you do this like earlier in your career or is this something you feel like developed over time? I think this developed um, over time a lot as I, well, that, yeah, I it, COVID then hit. And so I feel like I'm relearning a lot of it now as students are coming out of this with different anxieties and um, some long-term health issues even and family issues out of it. But yeah, I, I do think this is something that I've worked very hard at developing over the course of my career. And it's something that I just have to understand that it's going to take time to do this. So I hear from a lot of colleagues that they don't want to engage in certain strategies or don't want to do certain things because it's just a lot of work. And I think I, I had to commit to, yes, it's a lot of work, but my students will come out of this feeling better about me and the course and learning better. They're taking learning beyond my course that that's my goal and if I want that to be my goal I need to to do it I mean so you're teaching uh, an upper level tax class so these students are going to graduate pretty soon yeah so I uh, that that class is the one I'm thinking about in particular I actually teach in all ranges from sophomore pre I core at the business school um, classes all the way through grad but my my general audience is junior senior level accounting majors yeah so they have to care about what they have to care yeah. even if they don't actually cared yeah they had they have to care okay. if not for the cpa exam motivator just because they they want to have credibility in front of their boss so uh, continuing thinking about your about your students um to I'm, I'm curious uh how do you how do you celebrate their learning during the semester is there, is there something you do to kind of recognize it and and call it out that's a fantastic question. I think that I have to, I, and this is one thing I really like about the style of teaching is I'm reminding them all the time where we were and where we are now and how much they've accomplished. Like, you know, this sort of the, I feel like I'm a coach or I'm an encourager a lot more day to day in the class. I do think, and I, I heard this actually on the, the smart cookies episode we did or, or conversation we had about a week ago where I think I personally could get a lot more accomplished at using the student engagement roster or something where I'm actually giving one-on-one -on -one feedback outside of class to my students. That's actually something I'm going to work on right now. It's oh, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, it, I didn't think about it. Somebody reminded me in the context of, Hey, students need to know when they're doing well or when you're recognizing good work beyond just, Oh, Hey, I saw you in class. Good job. Sort of thing. So I'm, I think I do a pretty good job encouraging as a whole and definitely showing the learning path throughout the semester and how we're accomplishing our learning objectives as a class. But that's actually interesting. You bring that up because that's something at the forefront of my mind right now, 
where I can improve is being more individualistic with my praise. And that, that, that's wonderful. I mean, that sounds like a great use of the student engagement roster. And uh, I know that there's a lot of talk about how can we use this more effectively. And that, that, I think that's, that's a really good piece of advice. Uh, what, is there anything that you like worry about in the middle of the semester with, with what's going on in your classes? And, and it, maybe that's different every semester or maybe it's kind of similar. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I think for me, I, I, you told me I'm organized and I, I think I am at, at work at least. Okay, don't. Home, home will talk differently. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but day to day, I'm pretty casual in the classroom. And I, I do worry sometimes that the casual laid back atmosphere, do your stuff outside of class, come prepared to class. And then I'll be really casual with you as long as we're following the plan or being organized. I think it works. I get feedback that it works, but I do worry sometimes that I lose students who just don't have the mental energy to sit in a class and actually engage all the time like I'm asking them to engage. And, and then my grades are a little higher as a result because I, I want them to learn. I want everybody to get an A in the class. So yeah, there are times, and it usually happens like week 10 or week 10 to 12 where I'm like, oh man, am I really actually giving them the information they need in a way that they need so it? So you're in the thick of that right now. I'm in the thick of it right now. It's so weird you bring that up because I was just thinking about that yesterday, having a conversation with my students. And they do, for, for what it's worth, affirm verbally that things are going well and that this is something that they're engaged in because of the way the class is formatted. But I do worry that they're um, that they're actually taking it seriously. So, so you sometimes. had a conversation with yeah, them. Yeah, I have about informal it. conversations with my students all the time about learning styles between classes, um, what what's working for them, what they wish was different, some of their worries. And what I learned is that if you're if you're in an accounting class or STEM class or or something that requires thought or um, engagement with the content, students are going to worry even if they're doing well in the class because yeah. because as long as you're challenging them and making them feel like they're actually putting in work during the class, th things are okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I've seen that too. And uh, th they never quite feel settled yes. in a way. Which is good. I think that that's right. a good thing. Yeah. Because in, in, my, in that same class, there are no exams. And so one thing I think that students rely on, especially in classes where there are exams or like big turning points, is that they're gonna work really hard and then take this exam regurgitate the content and then move on. And in my class, it's not like that at all. They never feel settled. You're exactly right. Because even when we conclude one of the three modules, I remind them that the class is cumulative and whatever you learned in module two, you can't, don't forget about me because we have to take some of those concepts and apply them next class period when we start a new module. Yeah. And so earlier you talked about students using what they're learning outside of your classes. And it sounds like you've kind of set up your class so they have to keep going back and practicing and uh, with, with the information that they've learned previously. And I assume you have some discussions with them about how this is going to apply later. Yeah, absolutely. One way I do that, I do that, this in a couple ways. One is I integrate current events into my class. I call it tax in the news at the beginning mm. of most class periods, depending on how much drama I've given from the news. But like this week, for example, there have been three or four major headlines that are tangentially tax related or directly tax related in the news. And, and so at the beginning of class, I kind of say, here's what's in the news. And then I always end the conversation or, or embed into the conversation. And this is, should be important to you because, so even if it's not something that they're directly going to use, they're not going to have to um, advise a client about tax issues. They might be working with high wealth individuals who have questions about this. Or in, sure. if you, if you are in business, you are in international business, the world is global. 
Um, and then the second way I think that that motivates students is uh, this semester has been crazy with this for some reason is I get asked a, a lot for career advice. And I think it's because I'm sparking interest in some of these topics that students have never really thought would be interesting. And now they're in the class learning about these certain topics and they're really excited about some of the the ideas that they're hearing, they might feel challenged. And you're you're telling thing. me your students are getting excited about taxes. No, not taxes. <laughs> not taxes. No. Okay. The decision-making process, I think, associated yeah, yeah, with yeah. with tax, because tax is an economic like concept. Like a strategy. Yeah, the strategy. Right. I always say, if you like law, or if you like economics, you like the strategy, then this is something, even though I'm forcing you to crunch the numbers, this is something that you're really going to engage in. So I've gotten, I've had some seriously good conversations this semester about how, what they're learning in classes translating to internship opportunities. I had a, a proud moment on Monday where a student, I gave him some advice about an um, interview he was conducting or he was being interviewed. And he said, what questions should I ask the tax manager? And I said, I gave him one. It was something to the effect of like, how is your firm handling the changes in international tax law right now? And he came back to me on Monday in class and he said, Mets, that manager told me that was the hardest question someone anybody's ever asked him in an interview. And I said, that's awesome. Good job. That is fantastic. <laughs> like, let's go. And yeah, I said, that is a big win. Also, that wasn't even a hard <laughs> question, but yeah, well, he goes, so you accomplished whatever you were trying to accomplish by feeding me that question. <laughs> and that's awesome. I love to hear it cycle back on me like that. That, that's great. That's great. I was going to ask you about a student learn that makes you happy, but I think that, that that's a that great example fantastic. of it right there. Yeah. I also like, so I teach um, an average, this changes semester to semester of five to seven preps in an academic year. So I'm what people nicely call a utility player. I actually love it. I love having to, um, to strategize You're every bored, year. Right? Never bored, right? Never, never, ever, ever bored. But one thing that I consider to be a huge compliment, something, something that's really exciting to me is when my students come back to my classes year after year. So when I see people two to four times in their career, including in grad school and I can hear about their progress. Maybe they've gone into tax because of something I said in an earlier class or they're asking me questions about the international environment. Um, that's huge for me. And I love the longevity of that, that keeping in touch with students beyond just, hey, you're in my class, here's an information dump and get out. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it always keeps you fired up to, to do this teaching and learning thing when you have these relationships with your students that last and they're excited about what you're yeah, teaching. Totally. That, that's, that's really I was cool. in, that's in really that cool. that can last, you know, into their own careers. So I'm kind of curious, um, what would you say is kind of the coolest intervention you've ever done in a class? Most interesting. Most interesting intervention I've ever done in the class. So right in the thick of things, can I give you two? Is that okay? Sure. That's okay. Fine. So yeah, right yeah. in the thick of things. We don't things, have rules about this. Okay. Well, I'm happy to hear that. Um, in my tax class, when, when we're really kind of in that slog, I take a day to switch it up and kind of, I got to bring them back to the big picture somehow because man, we are in the, the weeds of these rules and they're hard and they are boring and nobody cares. And so about a year ago, I started doing an activity that were like, they looked at me like I was crazy and it worked so well. It's like, I love those moments where people are like, you're asking me to do what? <laughs> and then it goes great, which is that they had to do a business income analysis of okay. this, the taxpayer um, and the taxpayer's dog was a celebrity on TikTok. <laughs> so how do you, how did you think of that? <laughs> uh, I don't, 
that's a fantastic question. I think I texted my dad, who's a tax professional, and said, hey, has anybody ever like claimed their cat as a dependent? My students have kind of been asking me about that. And so we started brainstorming ways that people might use pets to to their advantage on tax. Well, my students, you know, some of them are actually social media influencers in my class and I don't know it or I do know it and it's weird and it got me thinking about um, self-employment income and how you have to report things that you're getting for free and so I use George the German Shepherd as a TikTok star how does that impact your income tax return and my students were like first of all this is really weird why are you doing this just but then they were like we learned so much about business income and what we have to do if we're self-employed at all and even if we're not getting cash we have to report the benefits we're getting and I was like yeah. And it was just like this really cool way to tie in all the content and make it relevant for what our students are thinking about right now. I think some of them actually go back and scare their friends who are influ- <laughs> who are TikTok stars or influencers on social media. That's not my primary objective, but um, so yeah, that, that was an intervention. It really puts cat videos in a different, uh, totally different light. Totally different light, right? Well, that was kind of my point is like this, we were in the slog and we've got to reset. And so with that intervention I took, I actually took it in a class last semester first for the first time ever. And when it was successful, I went, oh, this is awesome. So it was one of those that kind of, I stumbled upon it and now I do it deliberately every semester. Um, And they know it's my favorite thing. Oh, so do you do this pretty often? I mean, is it? Yeah, as often as I can in my tax classes. Another intervention, this is broader. I actually do this in most of my classes as a final project. Um, I was, when we were getting to the final components of the class. I'm not, like I mentioned earlier, a big exam giver. I don't really think that they're as pedagogically sufficient for learning as other assessments are. And I've done a lot of research just so that supports that. But for me personally, it just doesn't gel with like the way I structure my classes anyway. So a few years ago, I was trying to figure out kind of how I could make the final assessment feel comprehensive without testing them on every single thing they'd learned in the class. But I concluded was sort of a three-way analysis of a scenario. So in a managed um, a financial reporting class I teach, I kind of experimented with it and had them in their teams assessing a regulation, a financial reporting regulation as a task force and presenting that change to the chairman of the, Secur- the Securities Exchange Commission, the SEC. And then his committee and a group of in- Um, industry investors had to respond to that proposal. So you as a team are sitting in a room on behalf of your task force presenting to the SEC chair and his industry committee. And then if you are the team sitting there, who's the industry committee, you're taking notes, asking questions, and you have to respond back. So Mm. getting sort of this 360 regulators, um, investors or task force and industries or companies viewpoint of an issue. And and I actually let them pick the regulation that they wanted to change so they could go through the entire 16 weeks of class, decide something. Sometimes they picked the easy thing that they remembered, but they still have to think about it yeah. or something interesting or a current event and leaves a lot of room for the regulations to change. Like, like, like why April 15th? Like why April 15th, which isn't even April 15th right. this year. No, it's, it's April 18th. It's April 18th right. this year. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so like that sort of 360 view on the class, not talking about 360 view on every single topic we've covered, but taking some of the foundational topics we've covered in class and having them consider it from multiple lenses. And it also 
did had a had a side benefit of having them perform in a variety of mediums so writing and presentations yeah, that's really interesting it, so they're so they're t they're really taking the learning and they're taking a pretty complex yes. sort of view of of this learning and and then present i love the presenting it in different different channels that's that's great yeah and you know what's interesting is every year i do this and i do it in that format in my tax class i have a create your own tax system and present it to your monarch in your new nation and then she has to write back to you and slam you <laughs> about whatever you proposed um and so this the, the cool thing about this format is it works in all different subject matters um but my students give me feedback on this i go kind of how to go you know what do you think and they always say it felt like about the right amount of work for a final project that's a huge compliment to me if it feels like yeah we worked we had to do some research it was interesting but it, it felt like the right amount of work for a final project so they're taking this complex approach but i'm kind of tricking them into thinking that they're not doing as much work as they actually are. Mm, that's interesting. Right. That's really Because they're taking, I mean, if you think about the Bloom's pyramid, Bloom's taxonomy pyramid, they're doing creation because they're changing regulation and the evaluation component and the analytical component all in this 360 view with three different audiences and three different mediums of communication. And they don't even realize they're working hard. <laughs> that's, that's very tricky. It's so tricky, isn't it? Wonderful. <laughs> it is. It's wonderful. <laughs> so how did you figure out you were good at this teaching? Thing? Oh, man. You think I'm good at this? That's, whoa. No, <laughs> I love it. I, I think for me, it was like, uh, oh, man, this is going to sound a little strange. I'll be honest. Uh, whatever. We're, let's, let's put myself out there. The first semester I ever taught, I was in communication skills department at Kelly. And I got advice over and over and over and over again from a variety of people how much I was going to get my butt kicked on evaluations and how hard it was going to be and students were going to hate me. And just that first semester is so hard. And then the first semester ended and things weren't perfect, but things went pretty well. And I went, oh, okay. I mean, I, th I think I might be able to do this. And, and I have ups and downs, of course, we all do throughout the course of our tenure in academia. But I loved it so much when I started and that I think it translated into the classroom, going into it with confidence was a huge part thing for me. I came from the corporate world, unlike most of my colleagues who had been in academia for a really long time or um, came from more of a, a structural communication background. And I, I just think that there have been so few days in the last 11 years I've been in academia where I genuinely didn't want to go to work that I think that translates into the classroom. Mm. And, and my students notice it. I'm not like crazy enthusiastic, but um, I, I'm into this job. I, I love it so much. And uh, I think that that, definitely translates into my desire to help my students learn more and learn effectively and learn long-term. And so, yeah, that, that was a hard question, Michael. <laughs> That's a hard question. Well, so, so the, 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 how did you figure it out? It sounds like what you're telling me is that it went better early on. It went better than people. Then the people told me it was told going it was to going go. To go and, yeah. And, and you just love it. And so you it just it fit. kept getting more and more into it. Well, and also I think something that's like so critical in my own teaching and or just just academic career in general is that I never stop learning. I am constantly developing my own strategies. No semester, no class in any semester ever looks the exact same. I mean, I just made a syllabus change yesterday. We're in week at the end of week 11 for the next couple of weeks. I thought that's not really logical. That's not going to help them learn best. And so for me, um, something that has made me, I maybe continue to be good at this is the lack of stagnation. I refuse to sit idle and just let a class run itself. I mean, in fairness, I'm a tax professor 
And so part of that is that I can't because the law changes every day. Yeah, sure. I'm constantly changing on me. So I have to jump a lot and adapt. Um, and I know many of our colleagues have the same sensation with the, the subjects they're teaching, but I, I never sit idle in my teaching development, even though I think, you know, it's fair to say if you, you get promoted or you're in a spot where you're just kind of cruising, you could sit idle. And that's just never interested me. Um, so a constant desire to continue to learn. I was just reading about cruelty-free syllabuses the other day. Mm, that was, nice. Yeah. I was really interested. They ought to all be cruelty-free. They free. ought to all <laughs> be cruelty-free. Yeah. But I mean, I, that was something I didn't have to do. I was just sitting there reading an article and thought, hey, I have some learning to do about how I can just shift a couple words in my syllabus to make it feel even more inclusive. Oh, that's great. That's great. You know, um, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Oh, boy. And I'm wondering if uh, you'd like to join me and uh, in the whole series of conversations with facet members and well, your facet members of course i would love to are you inviting me to host i'm inviting you, you. yes that's would fantastic you, would you co-host with yes me? i would love to co-host with you michael i don't know what to call it though oh boy well i think that's a conversation it is a conversation for episode two okay we can do that thank you for co-hosting with me <laughs> in the future 